On this edition of the program, we go through all the sound of the night that was in a very sweaty, desperate second Republican debate and my book report on The Last Politician, the most popular book written about the Biden term one. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, September 29th. Ooh, let it be this late into September. Body eye. Isn't it September? Uh, my name is Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. Slowly recovering, man. I got an uh, upper respiratory infection. Trying to work all this fluid out. But we're here now. And I have been healed by a bunch of politicians yelling at each other. I have all of the sound here for you, whether you caught it or not. I'm going to keep you up to date. Let's get right into it. Let's begin with Mike Pence being painfully unfunny. Well, thank you for the question. I want to thank uh, Univision and Fox Business for assembling such a wonderful forum. Look, I do disagree with something Tim Scott just said. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. (laughs) I mean, look, I'm I'm from the second leading manufacturing state in the country per capita. As will be something that we will get to a few different times. I thought that this was a quixotic and befuddling performance by Mike Pence. There's going to be a culling of this field, and I think it's going to come sooner rather than later. Poll numbers are going to come out. Uh, Fundraising numbers are going to come out soon. And I suspect we might see people that are dropping off this stage before the third debate. I would hazard a guess. There were seven people on stage. Hazard a guess that we might get maybe as low as five by the time that the next debate rolls around. Here's something else that was uh, differentiated from last debate in this one. This is old meatball Ron DeSantis taking on Trump. Next question is for Governor DeSantis. Can we please respect the time? We can get it done. Governor DeSantis, you haven't spoken, please. The people in Washington are shutting down the American dream with their reckless behavior. They borrowed, they printed, they spent, and now you're paying more for everything. They are the reason for that. They have shut down our national sovereignty by allowing our border to be wide open. So please spare me uh, the crocodile tears for these people. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you. 
to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now. I can tell you this, as governor of Florida, we cut taxes, we ran surpluses, we've paid down over 25% of our state debt, and I vetoed wasteful spending when it came to my desk. And as your president, when they send me a bloating spending bill that's going to cause your prices to go up, I'm going to take out this veto pen and I'm going to send it right back to them. Obviously, the strategy and veracity of how much Ron DeSantis wants to go after Donald Trump has defined through hesitancy and inaction his entire campaign. It's the reason why he is the very, 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 very distant runner up right now in this race. This is the kind of stuff he probably should have been doing in May of this year. But, you know, you know, you only you only, uh, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. The second best time is right now. So good on you, DeSantis. Drawing lines in the sand between you and Trump. There's more uh, where that came from, by the way. Here's something else that was different in this debate. And that is Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy was incredibly active in the first debate. And he has since lost momentum in the polls. So it was very interesting, if not outright tickling to me, that he decided to show up as widow old me, Ramaswamy. 15 seconds. Go ahead. And, and then we're going to the border. Ilya mischaracterized a part of my view. I think this artificial division is unhelpful in our party. The real divide is not between the Republicans on this stage. And in the Reagan library, I want to say these are good people on this stage. The real divide is between the majority of us in this country who love the United States of America and share our founding ideals. Free speech, meritocracy, the idea you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and the fringe minority in the Democrat Party that has a chokehold over that party. That's the real divide. So this populist versus classical debate is artificial. We need to unite this party. Oh, I'm just a I'm just a kid trying to trying to make my way in this world i am i'm so excited everybody here on this stage is just so nice i'm just lucky to be here shucks now that didn't stop him from dropping some uh totally outside of the box policy stuff uh this is something that You know, when you define an issue and the border is an issue, the economy and the border are the two issues that Republicans want to stay around because both of them are looked at as negatives uh, under the watch of Joe Biden. You got to define your position. Okay, so you're tough on the border, but what does tough on the border mean? You've got some people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley that says that they are going to use military intervention against the cartels. And then you have this from Vivek. So the first thing I want to say is I agree with everything. The Republicans on the stage are on the right side of this issue. Militarize the southern border. Stop funding sanctuary cities and end foreign aid to Mexico and Central America to end the incentives to come across. But I do go a step further. You're right about that, Ilya. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now, the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. The difference between me and them is I've actually read the 14th Amendment. What it says is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the laws and jurisdiction thereof 
are citizens. So nobody believes that the kid of a Mexican diplomat in this country enjoys birthright citizenship. Not a judge or legal scholar in this country will disagree with me on that. Well, if the kid of a Mexican diplomat doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship, then neither does the kid of an illegal migrant who broke the law to come here. And as the father of two sons, it is hard for me to look them in the eye and say, you have to follow the law when our own government fails to follow its own laws. That's how we really go the distance and solve this problem and restore the rule of law in the United States of America because that is part of what it even means to be an American. Now, this is where some of the very interesting dynamics of this race come to the fore because Vivek wants to make himself into a sympathetic character after doing nothing but ripping people during the last debate. And so, despite the fact that he lost Steam, he has more uh, polling utility than most of the other people on that stage. I mean, the, the only three people that are kind of moving in the right direction, per se, even if they lost steam from the last debate, are Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis. So if you are not one of those three, you got to start attacking one of those three. Tim Scott begins it, but just listen to the chorus of people who all want a chance to kick Vivek Ramaswamy in the teeth. For slavery and not for illegal immigration. I'll go one step further, though. When we have a conversation about the things that are happening on this stage, we think about the fact that Vivek just said we were all good people. And I appreciate that because last debate, he said we were all bought and paid for. And I thought about that for a little while and said, you know, I can't imagine how you could say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded Hunter Biden, millions of dollars, was a partner this of yours as well. It's not nonsense. So look, you, here's what I'll, 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 I want to respond. These, these are good people who are tainted by a broken system. And it's not the fault I, I of anybody who's involved. Some of us are tainted with bottom line. Excuse me. Line excuse bottom me. Bottom bottom bottom. Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. Literally. While I'm speaking. Well, no, you said bottom 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 If I may finish. You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges we should have. Please focus on the issues that matter. Business in China. May, Everybody knows that. If I may, if Let's I may focus address, on holding Joe Biden accountable. That's what we need to be. I actually agree on. with Ron DeSantis. Well, speak at the same time. I, no one can understand. Exactly. Your so if I may, I agree with Ron DeSantis on China. When every other CEO expanded into the Chinese market, you know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, you ran Strive, right when, it, that's years ago. right when I started my next company, Strive, to compete against it's BlackRock, excuse me, no, no. to compete against it's BlackRock, I made a commitment that we would never do business in China. And I will say something. Yes. I think you have more than time to explain yeah. your point. Well, if I, I was interrupted by a lot of people here, and I want to be respectful I because I believe yeah. these you were respectful people, last bit. but I do not yeah. believe in these. We're sitting here in the Reagan Library. Yes, I wish you would do not. In the honor of Ronald Reagan's library, if I may, well, from one, Tim, listen, from one hey, admirer listen, of Ronald all, Reagan all to I'm another, from you. one admirer of Reagan to another, Did we cannot do see guys up against this violation. Four years ago, this is productive. I, I want to hear about that. I let's have a policy debate. What's going on? I'll, I'll let us have a policy debate. Let's have about their record. Let's have a policy debate. And the right answer is we need to declare independence from China, and I will see that through. Chris Christie is going. Nowhere. 
His entire campaign is premised on the idea that he'd be mean to Donald Trump on television. Donald Trump has refused to show up on television for either of the two debates. And so he decided to go after him. I'm going to play this clip and then I'm going to give you a little background on this. Here is Chris Christie. We've got to bring law and order back to this country and not just in our cities, but we need to law and order back everywhere. We need law and order back in our suburbs. People are threatened there. We need it in our rural areas. People feel threatened there. And we need it in Washington, D.C. also. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. In the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton wanted to highlight Donald Trump avoiding paying taxes. And so somebody very, very bright, and I assure you, very well-educated, came up with the phrase Donald Duck, as in he ducks taxes. Donna Brazil, in her book, writes that Disney, via ABC, who was her employer, is her employer, had her go to Hillary and say, can you please stop using treasured Disney IP in a highly contentious political election. Aside from the fact that, as Donna Brazil says, she hated it. It was a really stupid nickname and did nothing to further the cause of beating Donald Trump. Donna Brazil's up until recently co-worker on ABC's This Week, panelist on the same Sunday show, Chris Christie. Christie. Ask your former coworker. I'm sure you still got access to the Slack. Just go into the Slack and say, hey, Donald Duck, I'm, I'm just batting this around. Donna Brazil would have tumbled out of her seat to say, please, for the love of God, no. Why would you recycle a Hillary line? Yikes. Let's go back to bonkers proposals. Mike Pence, again, who looked Terrible. I don't know if it was the lighting or his makeup, but his eyes looked sunken. He felt like he was either up for three days or the bean just kicked in. He was just kind of had this weird vibe the entire night. And this was his policy proposal on gun issues. Well, first, let me speak to the mass shootings issue and then I'll answer that question. It's an important one, Dana. I'm someone that believes that justice delayed is justice denied. And as a father of three, as a grandfather of three beautiful little girls, I am sick and tired of these mass shootings happening in the United States of America. And if I'm president of the United States, I'm going to go to the Congress of the United States and we're going to pass a federal expedited death penalty for anyone involved in a mass shooting so that they will meet their fate in months, not years. It is unconscionable that the, the, uh, the Parkland shooter, Ron, 
is actually going to spend the rest of his life behind bars in Florida. That's not justice. We have to mete out justice and send a message to these would-be killers that you are not going to live out your days behind bars. You're going to meet. So this is an interesting one. Not only is it a totally out there proposal that you are going to expedite federal executions in months for a school shooter, which just gets into a lot of issues that go beyond whether or not we believe that school shooters should be punished, but then points it at Ron DeSantis that Ron DeSantis is bad for not executing the Parkland shooter. Holy moly. Um, This is probably the biggest thing of substance that I found during the debate. Nikki Haley on healthcare. I'm going to let you guys listen to it and then I'll point out what I thought was interesting. We be the best country in the world and have the most expensive health care in the world. We have an issue. My mom was in the hospital and when she was in the hospital, they tried to bring her a couple of Tylenol and she said, I don't need it. And they said, honey, go ahead and take it because you're paying for it anyway. Why is it that when we got the bill, the insurance company in the hospital negotiated the bill for her without her having anything to do with it? When I am president, we will break all of it from the insurance company to the hospitals, to the doctor's offices, to the PBMs, to the pharmaceutical companies companies. We will make it all transparent because when you do that, you will realize that's what the problem is. Second thing is you've got to deal with tort law. The lawyer, the doctors don't give you the 10 tests because they want to. It's because of the 90% chance they'll get sued. And then we need to bring competition back to health care, get rid of certificate of need systems and make sure that they can compete. We have to put the patient in the driver's seat. They've been in the back seat for way too long. And once we give the patient the ability to decide their health care, deciding which plan they want, that is when we will see magic happen. But we're going to have to make every part of the industry open up and show us where their warts are because they all have them and we need to fix this on behalf of the Governor American Burgum people. And that's what we Nikki Haley names amongst the villains in this story the insurance companies. Obviously, the insurance companies are a massive, massive, massive lobby in the healthcare industry. It's the reason why Bill Clinton couldn't get health care forward, but Obama could because Clinton tried to go against the health, the insurance companies and Clinton, Obama said, mm, I love you. Mm, we'll just make you an entrenched oligarchy and then we'll call it guaranteed health care. Obviously, we don't have guaranteed health care. Uh, the insurance companies have more power than they've ever had. But to go against them is a very interesting proposition. And it's part of the larger change of small dollar donations uh, and the more popularization of our fundraising. Because in the past, nobody would go against them. You would still have to run an uphill battle with the insurance companies in terms of what they're going to spend on advertising and every lever that they're going to pull to protect their little fiefdom. But it was interesting that she mentioned it. She's putting you know, herself out there as a target for that. I thought that was interesting. And now we get into a very uncomfortable part of this show, wherein we discuss who is having sex with who. A lot of over 60 sex is about to be discussed. So please understand, if you are listening, I know many of you listen with children. This happens. It's, it's now just part of democracy. Here is Chris Christie on education. This public school system is no longer run by the public. It is run by the teachers unions in this country. Randy Weingarten and her crew 
are absolutely straggling. They are taking the worst of their members and defending them rather than advocating for our kids. And when you have the president of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers union, there is no chance that you could take the stranglehold away from the teachers union every day. They have an advocate inside the White House every day for the worst of their teachers, not for our students to be the best they can be. A president of the United States has to take on the teachers union. I did it in New Jersey and I will do it as president of the United States. So obviously, Christie is referring to Joe Biden sleeping with his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, a member of the teachers union. Which is a mental picture I don't know America needed to know. But Mike Pence says, oh, you think that's gross? Hold my milk. I'll stand up for the safety uh, and the civil liberties of every American from every background. And I want the American people to know that. But I want to answer the question as well, Dana, that you just asked Doug Burgum. Because by way of full disclosure, Chris, you mentioned the president's situation. I'm, my wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers union, but I got to admit, I've, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. And um, so full disclosure. Did we need to have it pointed out that Mike Pence sleeps with his wife? No, we didn't. Did we get it anyway? Yes. Yes, we did. This is about the point of the program, and that was about an hour in that I'm going to say a bunch of people on stage saw a big flashing clock. Like I told you, this was a sweaty, desperate debate. There are a lot of people whose political livelihood, I think the people on stage could feel it draining out of them. And so a bunch of people got more aggressive here, some better than others, but none more consistently than Nikki Haley. So I'm going to play a longer clip here for you. This is Vivek trying to do his ever so humble routine and then getting absolutely decimated by Nikki Haley. A radical idea for the Republican Party. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. Kids under the age of social, under the age of 16, should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. And let me level with all of you. I'm the new guy here, and so I know I have to earn your trust. What do you see? You see a young man who's in a bit of a hurry, maybe a little ambitious, bit of a know-it-all, it seems, at times. I'm here to tell you, no, I don't know it all. I will listen. I will have the best people, the best and brightest in this country, whatever age they are, advising me. We will be probably many of the people on this stage included. That's how I built my companies. I want to be challenged. I want people who disagree with me. That's what makes America great because we're not a perfect nation. We're founded on the pursuit of perfection. That is what makes America great. And that is why we will end it once we win this election. I have to jump, I, I have to jump in here. I'm sorry. 
Ramaswamy was speaking. There's one person on this. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Because I can't believe that here we've got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. That means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can get text messages, they can get all of this. This is very important for our party. This is very important for our party, and I'm going to say you've gone and you've helped China make medicines in China, not America. You are now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We can't trust you. We can't have TikTok in our kids' lives. We need to ban Oh, Lord, Nikki's not done. She's going to call out Donald Trump. The man's not even on stage, but he can still get some. We will end all normal trade relations until China stops sending fentanyl. And then we'll do the special operations and we'll get it from both sides. This is where President Trump went wrong. He focused on trade with China. He didn't focus on the fact that they were buying up our farmland. He didn't focus on the fact that they were killing Americans. He didn't focus on the fact that they were stealing $600 billion in intellectual property. He didn't focus on the fact that they put a spy base off our shores in Cuba. They didn't focus enough on the fact that all of our law enforcement drones in America are Chinese and we've got all these little surveillance cells. We need to start focusing on what keeps Americans safe. That hasn't happened in a long time. As your president, I will make sure every American is safe and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. All right. But that doesn't satiate her bloodlust. Nikki Haley is on to Ron DeSantis. You banned fracking, my guy. So, you know, the first thing I'll say is what I saw at the United Nations is national energy security is national security. We need a president that understands we have to partner with our producers and make sure that we have their backs. What you don't need is a president who is against energy independence. Ron DeSantis is against fracking. He's against drilling. He's been against. You did it. Every he always talks about what happens on day one. You better watch out because what happens on day two is when you're in trouble. Day two in Florida, you ban fracking, you banned offshore drilling, you did it on federal lands, and you took green subsidies that you didn't have to take. Governor DeSantis, you mentioned you had the right to respond. 30 seconds. I just did a plan out in West Texas for American energy dominance. We're going to choose Midland over Moscow. We're going to choose the Marcellus over the Mullahs, and we're going to choose Bakken over Beijing, and we are going to lower your gas prices. We are going to get that job done because it's important for our national security, it's important for jobs, and that's one of the best ways to drive down inflation. Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, this question is for you. Our, our voters enacted a constitutional you amendment banned it before that they doesn't voted. allow, no, it's not true. You they, banned it before no, they voted, Nikki, and not you're, only that, you're fracking not, you're wasn't, not, you're, they didn't she, vote on fracking. She's totally wrong. They voted it in. That's what we did. Onshore, we do do it in Florida. We don't have as much as maybe West Texas, but we do it. But that was a constitutional amendment. So that's just wrong, and let's just get real here. My plan will get the job done. You we are going to be energy dominant, and that's what's going to happen. The uh, well, that gets Ron all fired up. He decides to take on Trump again, this time on the thing that probably has the most news value. If you've listened to the PX3 Extra uh, during Trump's interview with Meet the Press, He's been very, very clear. He is taking a middle of the road consensus position from the Republican Party perspective on abortion. 
He is there to say that he wants to make a big, beautiful deal and that Ron DeSantis' six-week uh, abortion restriction is terrible. And so DeSantis goes back at him. Same way we did in Florida. We won the greatest Republican victory in a governor's race in the history of the state, over 1.5 million votes. We were winning places like Miami-Dade County, Palm Beach, that nobody thought was possible uh, because we were leading with purpose and conviction. I reject this idea that pro-lifers are to blame for midterm defeats. I think there's other reasons for that. Uh, the former president, um, you know, he's missing in action tonight. He's had a lot to say about that. He should be here explaining his comments to try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing. I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time. I was at, my wife and I uh, earlier today were at the gravesite of President Mrs. Reagan, and I noticed that um, there was a quote where it says, every single person has purpose and worth. We're better off when everybody counts. And I think we should stand for what we believe in. I think we should hold the Democrats accountable for their extremism, supporting abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. That is infanticide and that is wrong. Which brings us to this. And the campaign undertaker is going to be making a lot of appearances on this show in the next month. My suspicion. And we know what we are going to say when Tim Scott is out. We know what it's going to be. Because I don't know what got in this man's head. He decides to go after Nikki Haley. And for an unmarried man who has a quote-unquote girlfriend that he won't allow anybody to meet and therefore has the requisite rumors that swirl around him he decides to fight about Nikki Haley, right, with Nikki Haley, about curtains. If you lead by example, it's the best way to get the job done. If you look at my office in the Senate, my chief of staff is the only Hispanic female chief of staff in the Senate. I hired her because she was the best highest qualified person we have. What we need are leaders who lead by example. And I will simply say, I would love to finish my conversation with Nikki as it relates to the job that needs to get done. Nikki offered a 10% 10 cent gas tax increase in South Carolina. Talk about someone who has never seen a federal dollar she doesn't like. 10 cents on this gallon in South Carolina as the UN ambassador you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains and a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go to you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube you want to know what that 10 cent yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will Here's pass what it you have if you will give us three. All you have to do is go watch Nikki Haley on YouTube. If you will give me three times the deduction and income tax, then I will look at your gas so tax, you said, which yes, is why it didn't happen. Secondly, exactly, secondly, on the $50 million, on the 
was a nice part. Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them Did back? Did you send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the yeah. residence. You here's, are scrapping. A, here's you are a, scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know here's, I fought here's taxes. A fact. Here's a fact, though. I cut taxes. I loaded up our You wanted a gas tax increase, and then you wanted a we do not day. intend to go ahead like this. In we fact, we're about, about to take voters? a commercial break. Whoever approved that, because this is a designed attack, needs to be fired. That's it. Done. Over. Fanato. Get out. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Boom. Trap door. Let him fall into a pit full of alligators. That's bad. It's not bad. It's awful. It's not awful. It's terrible. It's not terrible. It's abysmal. It's not abysmal. It is abominable. You can't have Tim Scott, who is physically larger in stature and can bellow. He is, when he wants to be, a man's man. Start going back and forth with the only woman on stage about curtains? We're talking about curtains? And curtains being too expensive? You think that's going to connect to the Rust Belt? You think that's going to connect to the Rust Belt? Do you think that even the male voters that turned against the Republican Party in the suburbs of Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Arizona, you, do you think that they even know how much curtains cost? And do you think that you're going to find a sympathetic argument with the women in those households saying you bought too expensive curtains? I, I just I, I fail to see anything here that makes any sense. And now we're going to end on a high note, at least for one candidate. Uh, in my opinion. This was a sterling moment for for. The guy who sat center stage. I'm going to play this entire clip for you. This is coming back from commercial on Fox Business. Dana Perino is the one that you're going to hear. In my opinion, this was too cute by the Fox producers. What they're going to do is ask the candidates to vote one another out. Vote one another off the island is their terminology. But essentially, they are saying, which candidate should drop out? There's a little fiddling and fudging. I would encourage you to watch this clip online because I do think that the visuals, after having watched it again this morning, make this more clear that some people do pull out the pen and they do look at it. Ron DeSantis is dead center. He's got his hand at his sides the entire time. Here's the clip. the final minutes. I could go another hour, but we only have a few minutes. And candidates, it's now obvious that if you all stay in the race, former President Donald Trump wins the nomination. None of you have indicated that you're dropping out. So which one of you on stage tonight should be voted off the island? <laughs> Please use your marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you. 15 <laughs> seconds 
Starting now, of the people on the stage, Are you who serious? should be? I'm I'll absolutely to do serious. That with all due respect, wow. I mean, we're here, like, wow. you know, we're happy to debate, sure. but I think that that's disrespectful to my fellow competitors. Nobody wants yeah. to, so. nobody most, wants to participate. Let's do some questions. Let's talk about the future of the country. I'll answer. I want to be. I want to be clear. Let me ask you this. If, if I may, let me, if I let may me ask you something. Yep. Let me, then, yep. if you won't answer that question, let me ask you this one. Yeah. What is your mathematical path? Yes. Governor DeSantis in order to try to beat President Trump, who has a commanding and enduring lead in this race. So polls don't elect presidents. Voters elect presidents. Right. And we're going to take the case of the people in these early states. We're going to do it in a state-by-state -state direction. And why? Because as Reagan said in his day, this is our time for choosing. We are not getting a mulligan on the 2024 election. Republicans have lost three straight elections in a row. We were supposed to have a red wave with inflation at 9%. It crashed and burned. Not in Florida, it didn't. We delivered it in Florida. And so we've got to choose right. We've got to win. And we need somebody that's going to be able to serve two terms. So in January of 2023, they'll be able to address the nation saying, we turned the economy around, we secured the border, and we fended off the threat from communist China. As your president, I will get that job done. Christie, I believe I Ron DeSantis tried to do this two or three times during the debate. He tried to be the peacemaker while other people were squabbling. And I only noticed it after this last thing happened. And I watched the debate back today because during the debate, it just sounded like he was joining the group of people that were all trying to talk. But if you actually focus in on his voice and you listen to him, he tries to do a version of this a few times saying, guys, why are we talking like this? We really need to focus on the issues that people care about. He wanted to play a strategy where he was the adult in the room. And in this moment, granted, it was the end of the debate. God knows how many people were watching. He had his best moment of the campaign, in my opinion. Everything he wants to reinforce. That he is substance and not sizzle. That he is results and not bombast. He got through without saying anything more than just, that's disrespectful. We don't need to do that. Please ask us more questions so the people who are watching can know more about us. The question that comes in from Dana Perino is, what's your mathematical pathway to win the nomination? Which is a very insider's question. You know, the, the, the theoretical, I'm sure if, never back down was talking to Dana Perino, they'd say, well, you know, there are 80% undecideds in New Hampshire and Iowa. So if we can capture the following amount of evangelicals and we see a softening and these candidates drop out, then their first choice is like that. That's what the, the, the politico, the political strategist, the political operative answer to that question would be. And Ron DeSantis just says, because the voters matter, polls don't matter. Votes matter. That's what's going to happen. That is the voice of a man who believes he's going to go to Iowa and shock the world. That was that is what needs to happen for his campaign. I honestly think this is not squint and it kind of makes sense. That's his best moment of the campaign so far. For my money, he was the winner of the debate. And, you know, I don't know if anybody else really did anything for me. Nikki Haley obviously was out there a lot, but having rewatched it, she was really all over the map and she was really aggressive. And I don't think that that's a position that suits her. Her power position is levitating. She has a gravitas, but if she's all up in everyone's business, then she's surrendering some of that. She becomes more human. 
And I don't think that that's her best. She wants to be an avatar for the modern, powerful, conservative woman. And since we haven't seen somebody like that have the archetype or, or have the success that she's had, that matters. Tim Scott, I thought, was bad. Out and out bad. Mike Pence, cheese Louise with cheese. Chris Christie, at this point, he's stand writing letters to Eminem. Please, Don, I've been writing, but you still ain't calling. And Doug Burgum, God bless him. He tried to wedge himself into, into three quarters of the questions. Uh, uh, in the last debate, he had ripped his ACL and had to stand for the entire debate. He apparently did it without painkillers. But you know, you know who he reminded me of? Ron Paul. Back in those debates when Ron Paul was running, where Ron Paul kept, you know, trying to interject himself. Like, I remember he, on questions of abortion, he would say, like, well, no one's going to ask the only doctor on stage. That was Doug Burgum. It's never a good look. It it makes you look like a little brother. So I got to say, it was meatballs night. Ron DeSantis. I, I. I think if if you're them, if you're the DeSantis camp, you're saying, cool, good night. Let's stack another good night. It's going to be an even shorter stage. That means that the shorter the stage gets, the better Ron does. And the better Ron does, the more he builds up to uh, Trump. Now, he has this off-brand debate on Fox with Gavin Newsom. That's a whole nother conversation, but we have plenty of time to get to that. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you want to support this show. $3 gets you two bonus episodes each and every week, even when my voice is falling apart. Let's get into the news. The impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden has begun. The House Ways and Means Committee's Republican members released over 700 pages of IRS whistleblower documents as part of the GOP-led inquiry focusing on Hunter Biden's foreign business activities. Democrats accused Republicans of cherry-picking data to create a distorted narrative, questioning the timing of the release amid looming concerns of a government shutdown. Committee Chair Jason Smith argued that the documents reveal Hunter Biden leverage his family's political status in a global influence peddling scheme. Federal prosecutors had previously signaled plans to charge Hunter Biden with tax crimes, while Republicans claimed that the Justice Department obstructed the tax probe into President Biden's son. Democrats, of course, have refuted these allegations, as well as claims that the IRS whistleblowers faced retaliation. President Biden has consistently denied any involvement in his family's business dealings. A lot happening in the House right now. This inquiry is going to get drowned out by a government shutdown that will probably happen on Sunday. That is the only word that Republicans will know. They are going to begin, end, and repeat three times in the middle the word shutdown in every sentence that comes out of their mouth. Speaking of that, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Representative Matt Gates had a heated private exchange during a House GOP conference meeting. Gates accused McCarthy of orchestrating a social media campaign against him. McCarthy denied the allegations, stating that he had other priorities and wasn't focused on undermining Gates. Why are you so obsessed with me? 
The tensions escalated after a message soliciting an advocacy campaign, quote, against Gates and the government shutdown was circulated on social media and attributed to a McCarthy proxy. This by conservative commentator Rogan O'Handley. Gates threatened to force a vote to remove McCarthy as speaker if certain demands on spending and legislation are not met. McCarthy's legal counsel sent a cease and desist to the individual assumed to be behind the anti-Gates solicitations earlier in the week. It is drama, drama, drama when it comes to the House Republicans. And all we got was this federal shutdown. And finally, an American soldier, Travis King, is... Uh, who crossed into North Korea this July has been returned to the United States and landed at a military base in Texas. King was then taken to Brook Army Medical Center at the Joint Base San Antonio for further care. His return was a result of a month-long diplomatic effort by the U.S. government, primarily facilitated by Sweden, which acts as a protecting power for the U.S. and North Korea. North Korean authorities reported that King admitted to entering the country illegally and decided to expel him through the U.S. officials, have not disclosed why North Korea took this action. Prior to his return, King had been facing disciplinary actions for assault charges and had served time in a South Korean prison. This kid was trouble. He was being discharged from, uh, uh, I believe, certainly South Korea, but possibly the military. He decides on his last day to go on a civilian tour and then runs into North Korea, where I assume he was very annoying. And the North Koreans were like, you want to know what? You can have them. How annoying do you have to be that the North Koreans are like, not even for political reasons. No, just go. Just just so annoying. Just leave. Just get out of here. And that is your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three dollars. You'd buy me a cup of coffee each week. You get two bonus episodes each and every week. Now back to the show. Ah, the political book tour rolls on. This is my book report for The Last Politician by Franklin Foer. Foer is a reporter and writer for The Atlantic. And it is safe to say that this has been by far the most popular and fiscally successful of a pretty depressed genre. And that is books about the president of the United States since Trump left. And the reason why that's an important distinction is because you could not write enough books about Trump. Everybody wrote a book. Some of them mattered. Most of them didn't. At the end of the day, it was uh, the same rehash. Donald Trump is Turns out a bit of a shoot from the hip wild card. And sometimes he says things that are a little off color. But Biden has proven to be less interesting to the general public. Or is it that the books haven't been particularly interesting? My thought with the Trump side of it is not that necessarily the Trump was or was not any more colorful than some of the people that have come through the White House. I mean, Obviously, he is not the first foul mouth president. He is not the first president who has uh, been a bit of a gunslinger. But usually that kind of color winds up coming out 
years, if not decades, after the president is in office. Donald Trump came to Washington, D.C. with a bunch of swords. He was not protected by a party or a regime. He didn't come from the cloth of another very powerful politician. Or does he seem to have any coaching tree, as it were? The people that are loyal to Trump are loyal to Trump, but you can be cut out pretty quickly. And so there wasn't a lot of reason to hold secrets about him. There wasn't a lot of benefit, not in the way that there will be benefit for people around Joe Biden, you know, up to and including when Joe Biden dies, he'll be surrounded by people that made this entire political journey with him and will be able to reward those that were part of the machine. And so we come to this particular book. And there is a lot of very interesting stuff that you would like an insider perspective on. What kind of shape the White House and the federal government were after Trump. The disastrous exit from Afghanistan. The war in Ukraine. And, of course, the legislative battles and wins for the Biden administration. And on the whole, I think when the book gets going, it's very, very, very credible. Like many books of this ilk, you can pretty well tell who the sources are. And it is no surprise that the book gets a lot more multifaceted and interesting as soon as it gets to Congress, because in Congress, there's a lot more people who are going to talk to you. There's one particular uh, back and forth where Joe Biden is trying to get the uh, infrastructure passed. And if you remember at this time, the big conversation was whether or not that would go along with Build Back Better or if it would be separated. And Joe Biden was in the House to make the plea to the recalcitrant progressives to go ahead and push it forward. And the book is fantastic at giving you a second by second perspective of how bad Joe Biden bungled that meeting. He got too caught up in the moment. Signaled the wrong thing, did not ask specifically for what he needed. And Nancy Pelosi was upset. Pramila Jayapal is pulling her hair out and trying to figure out what to do as the head of the progressives. And that is where the book sings. Where the book does not sing is the beginning and the end. Because, friends, if you are not familiar with the term compliment sandwich, then let me explain it to you. Compliment sandwich is when, especially in professional or creative settings, you want to get direct criticism to somebody, but you don't want to make it sound like you are being unhelpful or unwillingly destructive. And so you surround them with compliments. You did a fantastic job on this report. It seems as if you have not hit the return key once, and so your entire report is one gigantic block of text. I'm very, very thankful that you delivered this report to me on time. That would be a compliment sandwich. And the foreword to this book, written from the perspective of Franklin Foer, is a, a sloppy wet kiss to Joe Biden. 
one in which the author tells you that, boy, was he skeptical of this old barnacle of the Senate. But what he truly found was a great man, a great man who believed in institutions and stuck to his guns. There's a reason why this guy didn't stop reporting after 100 days, which is what he was initially going to do. And then it ends by saying that Joe Biden is truly the only person who could have gotten this legislation through, who could have gotten shots in arms for COVID and could have been there for the uh, war in Ukraine. Now, within the pages, I think Forward does a fantastic job of giving a lot of nuance. And not all of it is flattering to the Biden administration. Now, I do think that there are some edges sanded, and I'll get to that in a second. But by and large, the Biden administration, I think, is painted as a group of extraordinarily smart, passionate, caring people who fail to recognize problems that are oncoming because they are too busy telling people that are pointing out problems that they're being politically unhelpful. And then when the problems arrive, they very, very quickly try to put out the fire while never admitting that they might have a problem leaving matches and gas around the White House, if that makes sense. So this is less of them setting their own fires in the way that the Trump administration was often fond of doing. But certainly there is a built in. I'd say arrogance, and this is me putting together my own recollections of these events based on the reporting of forward. I don't think the book comes in, uh, comes to this conclusion that there's no way they could be wrong. A few notes. The State Department brought in a therapy dog during the Afghanistan withdrawal. So, If there is a criticism of the State Department in general, and I would say the Biden State Department would probably be a high point of of this trajectory and, and quite possible parody of the State Department, that there is a lot of very, very, very book smart career diplomats who are as haughty as they are scared of their own shadow like Buster Bluth. And that that kind of archetype, when faced with a genuine catastrophe, would simply want to curl into a ball and eat a pint of ice cream. There's plenty of evidence here to say that that's not a totally untrue statement. I will say my favorite elements of the book are the back and forth between Joe, my Joe Biden and Joe Manchin, mostly because I very much believe that people on either side were sources for this book. And so you don't get one side kind of overly represent, uh, overly represented in it. Everything tends to come down to one big moment, a moment in which out of frustration, the Biden White House released a press release naming Joe Manchin as the reason why legislation had not moved as fast as it could. This gets Manchin furious. And so he goes on Fox News Sunday and says he is absolutely killing the bill that the White House wants to push. That's build back better. 
the book doesn't do a I mean, no, no, I'll, I'll say this. Forward does a good job of explaining why Manchin's so mad. And it's because if you remember this time and period, Manchin had been very furiously protested by climate groups. He was being protested at his houseboat on the way to his car, on the way to the Capitol. Kirsten Cinema was being chased into bathrooms. And so Manchin felt that this was beyond the pale. It was beneath the dignity of the White House to be putting a target directly on the back of a member of his own party. More specifically, a member that was fighting for the center lane, something that Joe Biden did quite a bit in the Senate. I'm partial to some of these self-aggrandizing capital G, capital M, great man, senatorial backslappings. And so you get good in that genre when it comes to this. Now, there are a few things that I would like to say are missing, outright missing from the book. The fact that Joe Biden went in front of reporters and said that Afghanistan was not going to be another Vietnam before Afghanistan became our generation's Vietnam. I would have loved to get perspective on that. I would have loved to know how that was formulated and how serious they were. We don't get anything. Joe Biden wrestling with eliminating the filibuster. That's something that you got to imagine. There was a lot of hand wringing with Joe Biden and, 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 Biden's internal fight with that is reduced to like two sentences. The fact that Mitch McConnell was holding up a vote on the Voting uh, Rights Act authorization in 2021, which I don't even remember the details on. But that seems if that's the straw that broke the camel's back, I would just like to know about the rest of the bale of hay that went into it, because Joe Biden is and, and is in this book painted as a very, very, very weepy institutionalist. And I would have just liked more color on that. And then there's a little bit on the rise of the Delta variant and how the Biden administration got a little bit too forward declaring independence from the virus as, you know, was the theme of one of their, uh, their barbecues. But there's nothing specifically in the messaging of this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And if you get the vaccine, you are safe from spreading it. If we look at our modern context of vaccine hesitancy, I don't believe anything did more damage than that. Because at that time, the concepts of vaccine passports, while they never happened, or social pressure around vaccine adoption, which very much did happen and was a, 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 a very serious part of this conversation. I don't think it would have been as bad if the president wasn't saying that. If you know, you're safe, if you're vaccinated. One final note here, and that comes into the compliment sandwich part is that the book ends with the 2022 midterm elections. And 
the book is critical with Biden. Throughout all the legislative stuff, it does not give him the wins that I was expecting him to. It gives him a lot of the wins when it comes to uh, the, the vaccine stuff, although I don't get a sense that Foer talked to a lot of Trump people to defend their own record on that. It was a lot of the incoming Biden people. So take that for what you will. It is extraordinarily critical, I think, probably most notably critical of Biden in his handling of Zelensky. In fact, it's very critical of, of, of Zelensky. It makes Zelensky look like an absolute nightmare to deal with. And there are plenty of people that I assume are within the Biden administration and the State Department that are painting Zelensky as somebody who is somewhere between very, very scared and very, very self-aggrandizing. It is not very favorable to Zelensky. And I'm kind of curious as to the, the fact that that has not gotten more traction. And if anything, I really commend Foer, even if I think that there were kid gloves on certain elements. I commend Foer for, for running with a lot of that because it's not a popular statement right now. And it does matter because I do think it gives you a fuller context. But one thing that I found interesting, and here's where the kid gloves, we're going to end with the kid gloves, talks about the 2022 midterm election. And it gives Biden a lot of credit for the 2022 midterm election. Like a shocking amount of credit. And what Joe Biden bravely did was nothing. And that's the keen political instincts of the old fox, Joe Biden. Still got it, baby. I knew that the only way to lose was to play. And so I didn't. And we won. Not a lot of conversation about the candidate quality on the Republican side. Something that we definitely saw a lot about. And maybe just a passing mention to, you know, the thing that actually defined the 2022 midterms. And that was the Roe versus Wade repeal. So. All in all, there were times that I was frustrated with this book. But if you really like the. Inside the Democrat House sausage making, that stuff is very well worth it. The Ukraine stuff I found to be very, very well worth it. And by and large, it made me excited to read about the Biden administration. So I'll recommend it. Franklin Fowers, The Last Politician. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Justin R. Young, PX3 Tweets. And you can watch me live. We live streamed the debate last night, px3live.com. Letter P, letter X, number three, live.com. Of course, you can support me with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app, PX3 Cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. PO Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss. 
on our free podcasting schedule and our $10 tier. Get your name right at the end of the show like these five folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Yield Pinball Shop. John. DP4 Bongo. Sam. John. Edwin. Kathy Mack. And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian. Edison. Jeremy. The dog named Checkers. Sarah Jeannie. Matthew. Dr. G, Neil, His Nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, Bassam, D-Laser, Nick, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen D, Really? Chopper and Andrew. If you want your name right on the show, only one place to do it. Take politics seriously. Dot com. That's it for this week. We are back next week with all the fresh podcasts. The federal government might be shut down, but I stay working for you. But we'll get to that then. Until then, I just have one simple reminder. Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.